Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. As regular listeners know, I prefer to pick a particular topic and then go in on it. This episode is going to be a little bit different because there is so much to touch on as far as what is going on in the playoffs. Topics that deserve to be addressed, but don't necessarily warrant an entire episode to themselves. So, here we go. I want to start with a general explanation that I'm sure most of you know and understand. But just in case there are a few stragglers or listeners who are confused, here it is. As part of my job as a daily co-host on a TV show, I'm asked almost every day to make a prediction about the outcome of a game or a season or a trade. Now that we're in the playoffs, it's happening every day, maybe multiple times through the course of the week. And this is a relatively new thing for me in terms of being on TV every single day on a 90-minute show. So, uh, but you name it, I'm probably asked what I think is going to happen multiple times a show. And then those clips are sent out, not always with the entire context, are sent out on social media. And there's a lot of people reacting to those predictions. I can save you a lot of time, by the way, and anybody saying whatever about my prediction being right or wrong or whatever. Um, I don't care. <laughs> unless... Unless I'm betting on one of them, I really don't care. And then I really don't care what your, uh, your response is. Or I take that back. Certain responses, I'm, I'm always going to pay attention to. But if it's just, uh, yeah, you were wrong or you're a clown or any of that stuff, okay. I, I'm, I'm to the point now where I don't even mute people. <laughs> I just, I don't care. It comes with the territory. Now, a lot of times, I'd rather not make a guess because the water is simply too muddied or there are too many unknowns unknowns that I'm aware of 
but don't know how or if they're going to affect the outcome. And every now and then I can get away with saying, I don't know. But in most cases, I can't. I have to take my best guess. And because of the nature of TV, I have to build a case and say it with certainty. Now, this is how I measure how well I do my job, which is, am I convincing? Does my case make sense? Not whether it ends up proving to be true. If it does, great. And I win that battle more times than not. But my goal is to make you think about something or to make a case why something is going to happen. And if that makes sense and it makes you think about it and maybe makes you hesitate about what you originally thought, then I am doing my job. No one wants to watch, read, or listen to someone hemming and hawing about, well, this could happen or this could happen. That's the reality, but it doesn't make for good TV, and it is not my job. Take your shot, say it with your chest, and keep it moving. Now, when I happen to predict something not in favor of your favorite player or team, that doesn't mean I hate that player or team. This is specifically for you Lakers fans, although I imagine there's some other teams that are going to come up. Sacramento Kings fans, Warriors fans at times, Knicks fans, Nets fans. What I take as the greatest compliment that I could be receive, uh, I could receive is that I have fans from various teams who alternately think I love or hate their respective team. That's, that's the truest sign that I'm just telling you what I think from position to position. And depending on what you hear and when you hear it, you may have an opinion on how I feel. Well, I don't feel any kind of way. I think certain ways. That's the distinction. So, um, when it comes to the Lakers, uh, they've, they've got this idea that I've always been a Lakers hater, which is not even close. There are a few NBA players I developed a better relationship with than Kobe Bryant or admired more. Shaq and I are friendly this day. Same with Pau Gasol. I've doubted the Lakers the last few years. Oh, I've gotten to know Austin Reeves a little bit. But really, really like him. There's a number of other guys on that team that I respect. Um, but I've doubted the Lakers the last few years because of where the bar is set for them and what they're working with. And I hate to break it to you, but I've been right way more times than I've been wrong about them. I was wrong about them winning in the bubble. Forgive me for not being able to accurately read a never-before-seen situation. I was right about calling them the LAARP Lakers and saying that would never work with Rajon Rondo and Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza. I was right when I said they weren't a title contender two years ago and got bounced in the first round. I was right about them last year when I said the Westbrook-LeBron-AD combo wasn't going to work. This year, I said I initially had my doubts about them making the play-in. But as we saw the pieces acquired at the trade deadline gel, I came off of that and said I expected them to make the play-in. In fact, hoped they would make the play-in because the Lakers were a better story than any of the teams that they were competing against. I also told you they would not climb into the sixth seed, and I never came off of that. I also told you they were capable of winning a first-round series 
before we saw who they were matched up against. I was wrong in thinking the Grizzlies would beat them. I said I don't see them doing more than that, and I still believe that, but maybe not as firmly as I did before. Sometimes teams are better than the sum of their parts, and the Lakers are beginning to look like that kind of team. In any case, there isn't an emotional component in any of this for me, other than the natural, I like to be right. I like to see the things that I think prove to be right. And I like to see players and teams that play the right way and put in the work be rewarded. That's why I like this Lakers team. I like the way they've come together. I like how they support each other. I like how they appreciate the opportunity to play with LeBron. And I like how LeBron has handled every aspect of his business in this first round. But if I pick against them in the next round, it's not discounting them or because I hate them or I disrespect them or what they've done. It's because I think the Warriors or Kings have advantages that the Lakers can't counter with their strengths. Or maybe I won't feel that way. Maybe after watching Game 7, sitting back and weighing everything, I'll come to the conclusion that the Lakers' strengths outweigh their weaknesses. We'll see. Either way, I'm going to have to plant my flag. That's my job. And if you really care what I think, you're going to have to watch or listen to me every day because my view may change as a result of what I learn along the way. And that's not being wishy-washy. That's not being stubborn and ignoring new information. Also, a word to Lakers fans harping about Coach Darvin Ham not playing Lonnie Walker or Mo Bamba. Please stop it. It's so damn silly. I know they may be one of your favorite players, but not everybody gets to play, and there's a reason they're not playing. The biggest being that what they do isn't good enough to warrant playing. Lonnie is not a better playmaker than Austin Reeves. He doesn't play off of LeBron as well either. He doesn't score as well as D'Angelo Russell. He doesn't defend as well as Dennis Schroeder. Lonnie gave them some nice regular season minutes this season. Somebody's got to sit when you get to the postseason. And no, just because your team is fighting fatigue, that's not the reason that you mess with the rotations, not in the playoffs, and not with a team as relatively newly put together as the Lakers. They're still finding their groove, their rhythm with different combinations. The time for experimentation is over. And if you have anything to say about Darvin Ham and the job he's doing, he just took a team that was at one point 13th in the league that changed its roster at the trade deadline. And he has them through the play-in and in the second round. Everything and anything he does beyond this is gravy. A first-year coach doing that, maybe we're spoiled by what Ime Odoka did with the Celtics, but he was handed a starkly different team with starkly different talent than what Darvin Ham has been working with. Respect it. Mo Bamba has no business playing right now either. Too many Lakers fans see a tall body, see teams attacking the rim when AD is not on the floor and think, put in the big guy. Have you not been paying attention? Mo just got back from an injury. He hasn't had any practice time with this particular group of players. Yes, he's big with a huge wingspan. No, he doesn't block shots. 
He's slow on rotations. He doesn't always give second efforts, and he's not good in pick-and-roll coverage. There is no such thing in the playoffs as throwing a guy out there for a couple minutes and just seeing what happens. When a coach does that, he's truly desperate. Sometimes, Sometimes it even ends up working. Most of the time it doesn't and only compounds the problem. A game can be lost experimenting for a couple minutes with a player, and a coach is undercutting his own authority by giving a sub who hasn't earned those minutes, especially in the postseason. That's why some coaches won't do it under any circumstances. And before we leave the subject of the Lakers, I'm going to slow my roll on just how great their defense was in the first round. Yes, they've certainly ramped it up. So have the Sacramento Kings. So has every team that has advanced. But the Grizzlies' offense was relatively easy to defend. There wasn't a whole lot of off-the-ball movement, not a whole lot of physical strength outside of Desmond Bain to deal with the increased physicality of the postseason. John Morant couldn't handle it. Jaron Jackson certainly couldn't handle it at either end of the floor. And those are arguably their two best players. AD has been an absolute monster in the interior defensively. But the trick is to force him to move and rotate, and the Grizzlies couldn't or didn't do that. We'll see in the next series, whether it's the Warriors or Kings, just how much the Lakers' defense really has actually improved. Because those two teams are not strong side dominant at all. They both have far more offensive weapons and ways to get to the rim. LeBron is going to have to guard somebody, and then he's going to have to move and recover. And it's not a knock on him that at 38, he's not very good at that. Hasn't been very good at that all season long. Close your eyes and think of how many back cuts or off-the-ball screens you saw that resulted in layups for the Grizzlies. Pass and a layup, no dribble. I'm sure they had some, but I've got a catalog in my head of the Lakers, Kings, and Warriors getting countless buckets like that. Not so much with Memphis. If there has been a prevailing aspect to the playoffs so far, it's that we've seen some really smart point guard play. And we've seen some, what is he thinking, point guard play. I don't want to spend too much time on John the Grizzlies because one I did in the last episode, uh, but I recorded that before the embarrassing performance in Game 3, Jaws first since hurting his right wrist in Game 1, after they won Game 2 without him. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And perhaps some of you are saying, what do you mean, Buker? Ja finished with 45 points and 13 dimes in Game 3. He shot 50% overall, 60% from three. He was the only good thing that happened for the Grizzlies in that 111-100 loss. Wrong. He was the floor leader that did nothing to keep the Grizzlies from unraveling in the first quarter as wildly as I've ever seen a team unravel outside of maybe Game 6. Not even Game 6 compared. 
games, especially playoff games, especially in today's not so much defense, tons of threes taken NBA, are rarely lost in the first quarter or first half, but that one was. Now, admittedly, the atmosphere was manic. This was the Lakers' first home playoff game with a full arena in 10 years. They were frothing. But then we get to game four. A more composed game by both Ja and the Grizzlies in L.A. But there were too many times Ja launched himself at the rim looking for a foul and missed a layup and fell to the floor. These are the playoffs, and if anyone should know the game is called different this time of year, it's Ja, now in the postseason for his third consecutive year. And if you understand that every time he or anybody else misses a layup and falls out of bounds, or even if they score... It's a five-on-four for the other team. If you understand that, you might not be quite as enthralled with the acrobatics, even when they pay off, but especially when they don't. The worst was when he had a two-on-one and opted to try to dunk over LeBron, landing hard on his injured hand. I'm not giving him extra points because later... (laughs) In a subsequent game, he was able to do it. He tried to do the same thing on AD. I'm all for fearlessness. But there's such a thing as being foolishly fearless, and all too many times, that is Ja. How is it that Jalen Brunson is producing at the same level and winning, and we don't see him flying into the cameras time after time? It's no accident that the Knicks are already in the second round after knocking off a very strong Cavaliers team in five games and the Grizzlies are going home. Now, I appreciate what Ja said after game six about being the leader and making better decisions on and off the court. He's, he's on point with that. And it's why, look, he's a great one-on-one player, plays with passion, he's intelligent, It's why I believe he'll eventually figure it out, and hopefully before he does irretrievable damage to his body with his headlong assaults at the rim. But when it comes to leadership, he's got a long way to go. At least he knows it. And I'm glad that he spoke before game six. When you're the leader, you speak after every game, win or lose. It's one thing for Dylan Brooks to duck the media after being embarrassed by LeBron. It's another when Ja joins him in ducking out after the Grizzlies lost game four. Yet, Ja was available after they won game five. That is weak for any player, but completely unacceptable for the team's supposed leader and best player. It's not even a matter of showing up to take your lumps. It's the opportunity to set the stage for the next game, to set the attitude, the mindset, the approach for the next game. Both teams, both players, they listen to all the interviews. They're aware of what guys are saying. I'm duly impressed with De'Aaron Fox and what he has said. It's been so matter-of-fact. It's been so logical. Very impressive for a 25-year-old. It's why... I think the Kings have a chance to win this series. I'm still going to go with the Warriors because of their experience, but the Kings have showed me a lot, De'Aaron Fox in particular. Now, I knew Ja was young, but he is 
young, young. Or as opposed to De'Aaron Fox, sounds old, young. And I think what troubles me is there doesn't appear to be anybody even attempting to give Jaw some seasoning. Mike Brown has had a profound effect on De'Aaron Fox. I wish Taylor Jenkins was doing the same with Jaw. I don't see it. I don't hear it. Now, of course, Jaw has to want it. He has to seek it out at this stage because he's already been paid, tagged a star, and has no other external motivations that I know of to take a hard look in the mirror. It would appear that he has since game six. We'll just see. And just for the record, I have no problem with LeBron not shaking any of the Grizzlies' hands or what he posted. The Grizzlies acted like punks. Outside of Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and Tyus Jones, they played like they were in an AAU tournament. That team, and I thought, said it from the beginning of the year, I thought they were going to miss Kyle Anderson, who left for Minnesota last summer. I thought they did. They also missed Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. Those are some of the more mature players on the team. But I'm not making excuses. Let's be clear. They played such silly basketball, I don't know if the outcome would have been appreciably different if everybody was healthy. Considering what I saw, I don't think having those guys would have made a difference. I know there's a lot of people that think otherwise. I'm also glad the Cavs are sticking with Coach J.B. Bickerstaff. The idea that he was outcoached by Tom Thibodeau is absurd. He was working with dramatically different players, young players. I am as befuddled about all of the platitudes that Evan Mobley is getting as I am about those being received by Jaron Jackson. They're both extremely talented players and extremely young and have tremendous potential. But their games are raw especially offensively. And that was one of the big elements that did not come through. The Cavs did not have a post presence offensively. I'd also push back on the idea that the Cavs lost the series because the Knicks had a rebounding advantage. Yes, the Knicks had a rebounding advantage. Yes, it was a factor. Yes, the Knicks punished them on the boards. But... And let me put it this way. It wasn't a strategy error. It wasn't because because JB was playing the wrong guys. It was Josh Hart and Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel Quickly simply outworking Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, in part because of their size and strength, in part because they have different roles with Jalen Brunson handling all the playmaking duties? What did you want JB to do? Bench Darius and Donovan? Now, Darius is simply not a good rebounding point guard. It's probably the biggest weakness in his game. But otherwise, I'd say he's a close second to Brunson when it comes to blending his scoring with running the team's offense. And in that series, Garland had the task of guarding Brunson for most of the time as, we, as well, and yet was still effective when given the chance or presented with the responsibility of running the offense. All too often in that series, the Cavs lived and died with Donovan Mitchell, and it's why they died. In game one, Mitchell had the ball almost twice as much as Garland and scored 38 points with eight assists 
and they lost. Game two, they flipped the usage rate between those two and won their only game of the series behind 32 points from Garland. Game three, the first in New York, was just a disaster for the Cavs overall. They didn't come close to matching the Knicks' energy, and the split in usage didn't really matter. And this isn't football, so the idea that it's on Bickerstaff because the team wasn't geeked up playing in New York, another situation where it's been a long time since New York has seen a team like this playing in Madison Square Garden, so it was a special atmosphere. Battling that, I mean, honestly, I, 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 when it comes to the Grizzlies and the Lakers, considering what they were facing in that atmosphere, I would have expected them to handle it better, but I'm not surprised that they didn't. Home court advantage isn't always a noticeable advantage, but we've had a couple of instances already in which it was. Uh, in game four, the usage between Garland and Mitchell was fairly even again, and the Cavs had a chance to win because of what Garland did, and they ended up losing because of what Donovan didn't do, which was make shots. Despite taking the most of anyone on the team and not doing anything else other than commit more turnovers, six, than assists, five. My oversight in this series is not being aware of just how good Josh Hart has always been as a rebounder. I now understand why some call him Josh Barkley. For the last four seasons, he hasn't averaged fewer than six and a half rebounds a game. That's impressive as hell for a 6'5 shooting guard who plays somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes. It also asks, makes me seriously question why the Blazers moved on from him, but that's another story. The last item I want to get into are Giannis Antetokounmpo's comments after the Bucks were eliminated by the Miami Heat in five games and the suggestion that the series loss was not a failure, that the season was not a failure because there is no failure in sports, according to Giannis. I specifically want to address the idea that if Kevin Durant or LeBron James said what Giannis said, that they'd be crucified and Giannis wasn't. The answer, you're right. They probably would be crucified because they would deserve to be. Because they wouldn't have approached it the way that Giannis did. First of all, Giannis addressed the reporter by name, Eric. He didn't have to ask him what his name was. He knew it. He acknowledged that Eric had asked him the same question the year before, which indicates he has known who Eric is by name and face for at least an entire year, and they have the kind of rapport or relationship where they can have this conversation in front of a, a room full of other people. At one point, he was about to say, you wouldn't understand. And I, I believe he was right on the cusp of playing the you never played card. But he refrained, saying out loud, I'm not going to make this personal. It was tremendous restraint, but it was also respect. KD or LeBron 
wouldn't have done any of that. Chances are they would have responded defensively to the question, especially after losing, because that is their MO. Chances are even better they wouldn't have used the reporter's name because they either didn't know it or they didn't want to show that kind of respect. And I seriously doubt they would have kept it from becoming personal or at the very least avoided taking a condescending tone. Giannis is treated different because he treats the media different. There's one other difference between Giannis and KD and LeBron. He doesn't advertise his greatness. He doesn't tell you how great he is, how, how he's better than anybody else. He doesn't give himself titles such as a god or the king. He has a humility similar to Steph Curry, probably for similar reasons. Both came in the league not being heralded the way KD and LeBron were. Now, they believe in themselves as much as either KD or LeBron do. They have the same goals. They believe that they're just as capable of reaching them. They just don't make proclamations. And the difference is that if a dude or a dudette calls themselves a god or a king or a queen or the best ever, then they are going to be expected to live up to that self-appointed title. And they better expect to have it pointed out when they don't. One last thing. The conversation between Giannis and the reporter was outstanding in every way. I've heard people say it was heated or it, it was somehow the reporter was out of line. Just because an athlete or coach doesn't like a question doesn't mean it isn't a good one. More often than not, when an athlete or a coach is challenged by a question, it's because it is a good one. Now, not all questions are good, but not all disliked questions are bad. The goal for any reporter is to get insight and information, not just for them, but for everybody. And I dare say that the exchange with Giannis gave us a lot of insight into Giannis in a multitude of ways. That's why questions where reporters couch the answer they're looking for into the question, or they lather up someone that they're interviewing or is up on the podium with compliments before they ask the question, makes me want to throw something. It's unprofessional and useless. It's insulting to the craft. And quite honestly, it's chicken bleep. And I'm using the bleep because I think I have a clean tag on this podcast. But you know what I'm saying. All right. That does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment, good or bad. As I said, I always read them. If they have some use, I take them into account. If they don't, I keep it moving. Uh, in the next podcast, I haven't addressed Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, and this may be time to do that. We'll also get our first look at the Phoenix Suns playing somebody who is not as compromised as the Los Angeles Clippers. So, 
I would expect that one of those two, or maybe something else will pop up. Expect that one of those two topics uh, are possibly, possibly in the next podcast. But we shall see. In the meantime, enjoy the games. And as always, thanks for listening.